Hi everyone, Sam here. Thank you so much for listening to The Policy Dispatch. Before we dive in, if you want to enjoy premium access to the podcast and want to read or listen to the unmissable and informative journalism from Foresight Climate and Energy, make sure to subscribe. You can try us for 30 days for less than one euro a day, which will give you access to our website and app. Just follow the link in the show notes or go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe to find out more. Hello and welcome back to The Policy Dispatch. I'm Sam Morgan, your host and guide through the dense jungle that we call the energy transition. Certainly hope that all of you managed to enjoy a well-earned summer break. Thank you for tuning in as we resume this ongoing series of podcasts, which hopes to shine a light on the countless energy, climate, transport and tech policies around the world that are contributing in some way to our shift towards a green economy. Before we went on our mid-season break, I was joined by a wide range of knowledgeable and interesting people who shared their expertise about topics as diverse as carbon markets, Australia's climate policies, decarbonised buildings, India's air pollution, and many more. Today, we set off from right where we left off, as I welcome Gwenael Avis Ue, who is Chief Strategy and Sustainability Officer at multinational company Schneider Electric. In the chat... We delve into what the energy transition means for firms like Schneider, what labour market changes will have to be made in order to make a green future a viable prospect, and how digitalization is the key that might well unlock everything. First, we of course have to consider the dispatch quiz question. For this first episode back, I'm asking you, Europe's transmission system operators expect how much solar power to be online by the time 2030 arrives. Is it A? 300 gigawatts, B, 400 gigawatts, C, 500 gigawatts, or D, 600 gigawatts? Answer, as always, after the show. So, Gwenael, thank you so much uh, for joining me today for this episode of The Policy Dispatch from Foresight. Um, I've been really looking forward to this discussion because it's always interesting to chat with people in this sector that represent companies that are very much focused on the future of the energy transition, because that's what we try to report on as well. Um, and the solutions that are also coming out to make that future very much a reality. So thank you for joining me for today's episode. My pleasure. Uh, to kick things off, maybe um, a look at the wider picture. Uh, time is an absolutely crucial factor in the energy transition. We know that delays mean more costs further down the line, more climate damages, more steps into the unknown. How optimistic are you um, that we haven't run out of time to decarbonize society and that we don't need to start playing catch up yet. We are still very much in control of our own climate destiny, for example. Well, very good question. Um, well, I will respond first by talking about the reality of the figure. So when we look at IPCC reports or IEA scenarios, etc., we are late. Obviously, we are late in the climate change uh, topics and especially in terms of decarbonization. Uh, in reality, we all want to go in the 1.5 degree scenario. That's our commitment for Schneider Electric. And worldwide, achieving this target of 1.5 degree scenario, you know, we need to accelerate. So we need to do three times more efforts, three times stronger. So we need to go faster. Does it make me, you know, desperate? No, I'm optimistic. Why? The first reason is that the technology is already available. It's not just a, you know, a bet in the future, technologies are available. So it's just a matter of scaling that up, scaling the solutions, making sure that they are deployed across the globe. 
and making sure that people realize that, you know, it's not something out of the box. For example, when it comes to the solutions to decarbonize, we all think about renewable energy, and that's super important, making the development of a lot of wind, solar, etc. But in reality, achieving the one perfect scenario, 50% of the effort should reside on the demand side. Mm -hmm. And that's why we need to communicate on the fact that first we need to stick to the 1.5 degree scenario. It's possible to achieve. And not only it's possible, it's possible based on the current technology. 70% of the technologies to achieve the 1.5 degree scenario are already available. So it's not just a game under something that we don't know. It's just a matter of deploying and willingness to go in that direction. This 70% that you mentioned there, is, I really find that interesting because it comes up in reporting quite a lot that people don't realize that we aren't talking about technologies that are just existing in someone's mind. Do you think that there is slowly a more of a realization of that, that people realize that we have, we have our destiny in our own hands? We're not relying on some um, MacGuffin or silver bullet that doesn't exist yet. Well, I'm not completely sure. Um, for example, we're trying to um, put on the top of the agenda of many governments and in, uh, in, in discussions with international organizations around demand side, what I was mentioning. But demand is not easy because this is not something visual. It's a lot about digital. It's a lot about energy efficiency, how to develop energy efficiency. It's a lot about sensors, then platform, digital platform, and then machine learning, digital artificial intelligence. And this is something that you cannot visualize. And therefore, therefore, people do not think about it. What they think about is hydrogen, is what we call carbon capture and storage, for example. Mm. Hydrogen and what we call carbon capture and storage are two new technologies that are not yet mature. They will evolve over time and we need to invest into that. But in parallel, we have current technologies and digital that are available. It's just a matter of knowledge so that people can rely on them. This visualization, I mean, I know that from personal experience, trying to illustrate an article, it's much easier to put a picture of a wind turbine than exactly. building renovation or something exactly. like that. Exactly, you're absolutely right. Um, the energy transition requires a massive labor transition as well. Um, Engine mechanics have to become electric motor engineers, uh, gas boiler fitters have to become heat pump installers, oil riggers have to work on offshore wind farm. Where does your company, Schneider Electric, um, fit into that? Are there any programs in place to make sure that shift actually happens? And is it happening? Super important question. We need the right profiles. We need the right capabilities. And we consider at Schneider actually that this is also our responsibility. Having a more sustainable world will rely on two components, electricity and digitalization, both in parallel, electricity and digitalization. And we need more capabilities. We need more people in those two areas. So that's why we have taken a commitment, you know, that we communicate on a quarterly basis towards the investors to showcase where we stand. First commitment, one million training on all those activities, energy management, industrial automation. So that's what we aim by 2025, 1 million by 2025. So it's a big target and we consider that this is our responsibility because at the end of the day, we will need all those people to join companies like us that will provide the growth of the future. And another example, we built a school in Grenoble, mm -hmm. 
where we have students and we train them so they have a job at the end on all those matters. So you see, it's just putting that together, all the commitments in terms of decarbonization and the solutions associated and making sure that we are taking a share in bringing the right training so that at the end of the day, it's capabilities that we'll find right after you know, their diploma, the right job for the future. The, the one million um, figure, is, will the lion's share of that be um, existing workers being reskilled or will it be more new entrants to the job market who are being given this as their first opportunity? Most of the time we work with schools, so we don't do that alone. We either have the school in Grenoble or we, we work directly with some schools so they have the curricula regarding those activities. Because sometimes there can be a disconnect between the educational system and what's available in terms of jobs. So we do what we call vocational training, where you have all the equipments and it, so that you know the students, they can train and perform on all the technologies that are available. So that at the end of the day, you know, they're ready, skilled on the new uh, economies, which is digital and electrification. Right, we're talking about reskilling. Something that I had to reskill over the last few months is to understand how electricity markets work, because this has been one of the main topics in, in energy policy over the last year or so. I mean, part of the shift towards a green economy is rethinking markets, right? I mean, the energy price crisis of the last 18 months, two years, produced record energy costs, um, billions of euros in subsidies going to different companies to help them through it. Even now we're seeing these amazing negative prices across different countries. Um, markets are struggling to adapt to what we want to do, I guess. Um, the conclusion in Europe at policy level was these markets work, but they could be better. Where do you stand on that, both you know, as a company as well? Does the energy system of the future that you are involved in building require a complete teardown of what we have to work? Or would you also subscribe to the logic that what we have is okay, we just need to make it better? So, absolutely good question. First, um, I would say we need to fix the basics. Currently, when we look at the electricity market in Europe, we saw some deficiencies with the energy crisis. There is a gap of almost 30% of the supply to Europe in case of you know, hot winter next winter. That's the figure of the International Energy Agency. So we are not well positioned. How to respond to that? It's not only working on supply, it's working on demand. How can demand um, produce some, you know, some efforts towards the energy market. That's where we talk about peak shaving. That's when we talk about, you know, how to remunerate when people are less consumer. So I would say these are adjustments on the current energy market. And we need that. We need to fix the basics and make sure that we have the right prices. And we're not just subsidizing the energy but subsidizing when people are less consuming, then it's a more virtual circle. So this is the first element, that when we think ahead, what the market will look like, it will be much more decentralized. And therefore the whole organization of the market will be different. We will see more and more what we call prosumer, meaning myself as a private individual, or a big company or a building, for example. You know, we will all want to have our own energy system, produce energy and contribute to the world system. And we see that de developing across the world and it will be the case here in Europe. Mm 
uh, where we will have, for example, on supermarkets, large sort of rooftop plus storage on site plus electrical vehicle and all the software to optimize production and consumption real time. That's what we call microgrids. And therefore, you know, the market will be much more local, much more decentralized. And therefore, it's a whole architecture that is completely different. And this resonates very well in times where there is scarcity of the electricity because people are asking for resiliency, making sure they have electricity available all time. And at the same time, they want to control their cost and microgrids with those this, this local economy, local production. You control much better the cost because you're the owner of the energy. That's what resonates today. And that's the future of the energy market. That's where we need to invest massively. I saw um, it was maybe a couple of months ago where in France now car parks have to have these solar panels on the, the awnings, right? When you see developments like that, you know, as a company or even just you as a, as a, as a person, do you kind of think, yeah, that's great. You know, this is finally the things that you've been advocating for for a while. It's the technology that we have being used in a not an innovative way, it's just a logical way. Well, at Schneider Electric, we have been developers of this kind of technology. So that's the solutions that we offer to our clients. Mm -hmm. That's not one against the other. So meaning the traditional energy market where electricity of the electrification of the supply with green energy and at the same time development of energy efficiency is super useful for the current market. That's why we, we call about demand side flexibility. That's why we are talking about um, you know, contribution of demand to the markets. So this is part of the business. But in addition to that, we have been developing a specific offer for distributed energy, for decentralization of the energy. This is where you have the combination between solar batteries and all the software. This is you know, the offer that we have been developing. Maybe one example. In California, for example, you have extreme weather events, for example, big fires, etc. And therefore, the, the grid is not available. And we see a huge demand for distributed uh, system, you know, for people to be able to manage their own energy. And we have been developing this kind of solution for 200 homes with KB Homes in California, where you have solar on the rooftop plus the storage for each home individual. But in addition to that, you have a big storage that is shared across the 200 homes. So it's fully resilient. And at the same time, they can control their costs because it's all optimized altogether. So this is what we see. We have a lot of appetite. It can be for, you know, an availability of the network and therefore people want more resiliency. And sometimes it can be for other reasons, like, for example, competitiveness. When, when electricity prices are skyrocketing, especially here in Europe, they want to control their cost and that's a way to do it. Or sometimes the request is to implement that for sustainability reason, because in that case, it's fully free. So carbon free. So you see there are different incentives. But at the same time, this is super technology. This is super technology that is available right now. And therefore, there is a lot of request in that direction. And that's why I think the world will be much more decentralized. We will still have the traditional energy market with more electrification and energy efficiency. But we need to combine both. And that's what we do. It all seems rather logical to me. Um, the, the European Commission recently published its net zero industry strategy, uh, which uh, was very popular with a lot of people here. Uh, given that one of Schneider's aims, presumably as a company, is to help bring about a net zero industry, uh, what is your take on this strategy? And 
what way do you think it could be improved as well? Does it tick all of the boxes from your point of view? Well, um, I think it's very positive that the European uh, Union is questioning about the competitiveness of its industry uh, and at the same time trying to differentiate, so, um, identify some technologies that could be through uh, big enablers of the energy transition and try to uh, focus the effort on those differentiated technologies. That makes huge sense because at the end of the day, we want uh, the European Union to shine in terms of competitiveness advantage. And I would say what is um, quite disappointed is that the past years, the trade balance for Europe has been decreasing so massively because of all the imports of the energy and the prices associated. So it's the right time to re-question on how to reinstall competitiveness and change this trend balance for having that in favor of the European Union. It doesn't mean that we have to duplicate everything because in particular, we don't have the resources in Europe in every single raw materials and things like that. So it, it is, it is not a matter of duplicating everything. It's really a matter of identifying the key uh, technologies that could be an enabler for the European Union to differentiate over the long term and to inverse progressively this trade balance in favor of Europe. Hi everyone, Sam here again. Just wanted to remind you and maybe your colleagues as well that premium access to the pod and Foresight's brilliant journalism is just a click away. Try a subscription for 30 days for just 29 euros. That gives you access to our website and audio app. Go to www.foresightdk.com forward slash subscribe. Follow the link in the show notes. Now, back to the show. You mentioned digitalization. Um, I think for a lot of people in the past, it has perhaps been more of a buzzword than actual tangible policy. Um, to what extent is, I mean, you've already said that Schneider is very, very involved and heavily invested in this. Can you give some concrete examples of what digitalization actually means and to what extent it's actually happening already, the uptake of it, are people, the people who have a real appetite for this? Uh, very good question. So today, uh, buildings con um, are responsible for 40% of the carbon emissions. Um, therefore, we need to work on building. How to make sure that building you know, are less uh, consuming energy at the end of the day? That's the bigger question. So we can say, well, we start over and we have new buildings. In reality, we have a stock of building. And today, the rate of renovation of building in Europe is 0.3%. We need to grow that part. And in reality, that's not that difficult. And uh, basically, when it comes to digitalization, these are enablers for reduction of the, of the energy that is consumed in buildings and therefore for emissions that are emitted from buildings. One example... So what is digital for buildings? It would be sensors on all connected products. You have a lot of electrical equipment, for example, in a building. You know, all those equipments can be connected. We capture real-time data associated to it. We can understand the, how many, what's the occupancy in the single room, what's the lightning, what's the temperature outside, and we can calibrate, you know, the consumption in the building. So sometimes people think, well, this is not meaningful. This is quite small in terms of impact. Believe it. Just by implementing those technologies, so the connected product up to the cloud and then artificial intelligence to optimize the consumption in the building, we can reduce the consumption by up to 30%, up to 30%. And the return on investments 
it's between two to five years. So it's quite short term. So in reality, we need to showcase those examples because this is available. This is technology that is mature. This is completely competitive. And again, this is something invisible. We were discussing earlier how to make visible something that is invisible. That is a perfect example. 30%, up to 30% emission reduction just by deploying digital. Would you say then that the, the building sector is really the place to accelerate the green transition in that case where, you know, if policies are right, if technology really is taken at the scale it needs to be, that is where suddenly, like you say, 40% emissions, that's a huge chunk of what needs to be addressed. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Building is a key priority, but there are also other sectors that have already started that transition. One good example in Europe is the mobility sector, where you see a, a, a bunch of electrical vehicles being developed. So at the end of the day, this transition from traditional fossil fuel into electrification is already happening in mobility. How can we accelerate that? But another example, because we're talking about digital, we need to green the data centers. And therefore, there is, again, solutions applicable for data centers. That's what we do also for Schneider Electric, how to make sure that when it comes to digital, the data centers are also equipped with the right technologies to enforce that they are you know, green. So I would say there are multiple sectors, but priorities, I would say, building in particular, mobility in particular, and this is already happening. It's just a matter of how to scale it up, but also data centers. And at the end of the day, it's also the industry how to transition from fossil into electrification. And that's a key topic on the, on the table right now, especially in Europe, because of maybe the scarcity around gas. So how to make that transition happen? And for this industry, that's critical, because if next winter they don't have access to natural gas, they want to have a solution. So that's why we are engaging into those discussions towards electrification and digitalization with very a telemed solution by the different segments of activity. I'm glad you mentioned data centers because I find them particularly an interesting topic when it comes to the energy transition. Maybe you could give me an idea of, of how these companies that run data centers approach this kind of issue then. Is it purely up to them to, you know, they're self-regulating the ESG goals or is a company like yours a bit more proactive and, and you will be the ones to sort of go to them and say, we have these solutions. We can save you this amount of money, essentially, by helping you manage demand. And also it looks great because emissions are saved as well. It's, yeah. it's an interesting sector. I would say it's a combination, especially because what we provide to data centers, it's not only the demand, but it can be also the green part of the energy that they consume. So when we engage into discussion with the data centers, first, it's reducing that consumption. So here you have multiple solutions, including the work on the cooling part of the data centers. That's what we provide also in terms of solution. But I would say first, it's reduction of the energy that they consume. And for the rest, you know, that we cannot reduce, it's hard to make sure that it's green. And that's where we can offer PPS, power purchase agreement with renewables and things like that. That's the whole spectrum of solutions. And sometimes we will accompany them for their full decarbonization scenario. They have data centers in many countries and they want to know their uh, carbon footprint and they want to have decarbonization roadmap. That's also something that we do. Like, uh, 
in a consultative approach where we engage with the data center clients, uh, assessing all their carbon footprint and deploying software platforms so they can, you know, identify based on data their carbon emission and the best roadmap in order to decarbonize, which will be a combination again of different solutions. You mentioned PPAs again, very interesting financial tool, I guess, to get more clean energy into customers. Um, how do you think that these tools are going to change? Do they, do they need to change? Are they working from your point of view and they just need to be married with the right sectors and technological solutions as well? Well, um, initially, the development of renewables were based in feed-in tariff, you know, fully subsidized. Then it evolves around contract for difference. In, it's another way to subsidize renewable. And now it's directly linked with the customer through a PPA. So I think this is more um, uh, positive because at the end of the day, it's making a direct connection between the producer and the consumer that wants to decrease its own energy. So this is super positive. Now the question is, we see a lot of evolution in terms of PPAs. For example, um, you know, you have a kind of PPA that is called as produce. So I'm a consumer. I'm... Um, I'm buying a PPA that is exactly the production for wind farm. But you know, wind is not always blowing. And sometimes you need electricity, whereas the wind farm is not available. And therefore, we see more and more requests from clients, not on the PPA as produced, but as consumed. This is a PPA that is fitting exactly the consumption of the client. It is much more difficult because of... You know, we cannot predict what will be the wind, etc. In that case, how to do that? We need to mix different technologies. It will be wind plus solar plus storage, something like that, to make sure that 24-7, the PPA will fit exactly with the consumption of the clients. So you see there is a progressive evolution. At the beginning, lots of customers are requesting just pure PPA as produced, but more and more it should be exactly fitting with the consumption which is much more difficult with renewables. I guess it's this hybridization of exactly. resources and even sector coupling as well, which is another thing I maybe wanted to ask you is that is your company, um, is that one of your specialties as well as this idea of, you know, we're finally getting sectors to whether it's transport and energy or agriculture even as well, where these sectors that are probably impossible to decarbonize when they're seen as silos, as soon as you manage to link them up through technological solutions, it all seems to look more, well, an easier job then. Is that fair to say? Um, well, the way we address it is across the world value chain, because in any case, the scope runs of someone is the scope three of someone else, or vice versa. When we address it that way, then we interact with many different companies. Uh, for example, in our consultative approach towards different customers I was mentioning, you know, some of them, they know how to tackle the scope one and two, but I don't know how to tackle the scope three. What is the scope three? It's all their suppliers. And this is completely different sectors. And this is a myriad of different companies. This is the most difficult part. And basically the biggest challenge in decarbonization worldwide is to have the whole value chain approach, meaning decarbonization from suppliers to your own scope up to the customer. This is the most difficult part. So we have been requested by some customers to decarbonize their scope three. And then we started engaging discussion. For example, Walmart, big uh, supermarket uh, company in the US, 
Well, they asked us to decarbonize, to help them decarbonize their scope three, meaning we are working with all their suppliers and sometimes it's very small companies and they don't know what decarbonization is about. So it's a lot of capacity building, training, getting them access to carbon footprint, making them uh, aware on how to measure carbon and things like that. Or we have been working with the world pharmaceutical industry, the top 13 pharmaceutical companies like Pfizer, Sanofi, mm -hmm. GSK. They're all in competition one against each other, but they almost have the same suppliers. So all together, they approached us to decarbonize their own suppliers. And therefore, we're working with all the suppliers of the pharmaceutical industry in order to decarbonize with, again, the same questions. Their suppliers, small companies, they don't know what decarbonization is about. They don't have the same level of maturity and we understand why, but we produce the right technology so that we can tackle all the small companies at a time and therefore engage them into a decarbonization roadmap. So you see the angle that we approach that is across the world value chain for us, but also for our clients. That's super interesting to, to see that a company like yours is like a green broker in a way. You know, you're, you're you're hired to do the job for the company that needs to hit its targets or something. It's, yeah. As a journalist, it's, it's very interesting to hear how these different companies actually interact with one another because otherwise yeah. it's just a case of one big you know, conglomerate not doing anything, but that's not, obviously not the case. Um, I just wanted to talk about hydrogen as what well. you mentioned earlier briefly. Um, how big a role is it actually going to play in, either your business or the companies that you deal with, because it still feels like we're having the same conversation about it being a year away. You know, every single year when we're talking about hydrogen, it's just around the corner, you know, but it's always around the next corner. So it, is that changing? I think to respond to the, on this question, we have to differentiate the different colors of hydrogen, mm -hmm. because today already hydrogen is consumed for many hard to bed sector. So, for example, for ammonia, for the chemical industry, uh, for the refineries, they're already consuming hydrogen. The question is that this hydrogen is gray. It's based on steam methane reforming. How to transit into a green technology? Green technology is completely different. We just use um, electrolysis of the water based on renewable energy. That is the electricity consumed for the electrolysis. How fast this technology will develop and how big will it be in this market? Well, we used to say that in the world that will be fully decarbonized, net zero in 2050, 70% will be electricity. And I would say 15 to 20% will be hydrogen. So it means that hydrogen will be absolutely necessary in order to decarbonize in some specific sector for which it does not make sense to have electrification. In particular, ammonia, good example. For their production, they need hydrogen. So in any case, this transition will happen. It's absolutely necessary. We cannot, we cannot have another solution. So hydrogen from gray to green is the only solution for them to decarbonize. The question is when this will happen. You know, the, I would say the experts are all saying it will, the parity, the same price between gray and green will take place in 2030. That's, you know, what people are saying. How to make sure this will happen? We need to deploy projects now and we need to scale. Meaning when it comes to electrolyzers, it's not just few megawatt. 
We need to think about tens of megawatts and then hundreds of megawatts. And what's our role in Schneider Electric? Okay, we produce electrical equipment, etc., and the system integrated. But most importantly, we have all the software piece in order to optimize the whole system. And especially when it comes to designing, you know, the electrolyzers together with the storage, because ammonia plant needs uh, real-time and full-time, 24-7 hydrogen, etc. So you have this whole integration between solar uh, electrolyzer storage and the consumer. But what we develop is a digital twin where you can project and identify all the interactions of the system well before in order to optimize CapEx. And when it's implemented, we have predictive maintenance being developed through digitalization again, and therefore it's reduction of the OPEX. So it's very important to say that because at the end of the day, this technology is much more expensive than the great technology. How to reduce the gap between the two? One element is subsidy and the other element is digital. With our solution, we can reduce CapEx up to 30% and reduce OPEX in the same order of magnitude. So when we have a technology that is much more expensive than the traditional one, you know, it can be a huge enabler. And that's how we position ourselves. We're nearly running out of time, right now, but I always like to ask perhaps more of a personal question to the guests, whether or not it's about if they're optimistic about the energy transition or um, if they even enjoy working in the energy sector, because sometimes I doubt it myself. Um, maybe just a question about your particular role in, in the company. Um, the sector is very much dominated by my gender, the older versions of me as well. Um, as a woman, how has your how has your journey to your current position gone? Have there been have there been obstacles linked to gender equality? And do you think that if we solve this gender inequality issue that still exists, obviously everywhere, the energy transition will be actually be easier or not? Well, uh, I would say that we are in a technical industry um, and therefore um, sometimes, you know, for a woman, it's not the first thing they will think about in projecting themselves. What I want to achieve is to give an example on the fact that not only it's a kind of area for which women have a role, but in reality, they can develop themselves, they can be enthusiastic because it is a huge enabler for the future of our children. So at the end of the day, this is where we need to be. This is where we can make a difference. So I, my role is very much on that sense, on how to communicate to more women. And we have taken some commitment. We have some diversity objective. And because I'm in charge of the world ESG spectrum, it's not only carbon, it's not only water, it's not only biodiversity, but it's also access to energy. It's also training and it's also diversity and the role of women. And that's only, you know, talking and, and making sure that in our own internal process, but also in what we do with training, we give a sense for young women to go in that direction. And that's how I want to play that role. And I would say it makes me so enthusiastic being in this domain area. I want to communicate as much as possible to other women so that they can sense how beautiful it is to be in an industry that is so paving the way for the future. I guess this comes back to what you said as well about the school you're involved with in Grenoble, that if um, education can play a part of it as well, big changes can happen. Gwanaya, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a really interesting discussion, um, particularly the highlights about what you said about helping companies address their scope three emissions, because that is, I think, something that 
is extremely important to decarbonisation, but is often not understood particularly well. So thank you for all of your insights and um, best of luck with helping to green our society. And thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. My thanks to Gwen Ayal and everyone at Schneider for making today's episode, uh, which we recorded before the summer break, uh, possible. I think it was a really interesting insight into how companies like Schneider Electric are going to have to really roll up their sleeves to help the energy transition achieve its full potential. It certainly seems like that process is fully underway. Before the discussion, I asked you how much solar power Europe's transmission system operators predict will be online by 2030. Is it 300, 400, 500 or 600 gigawatts? The answer is 600 gigawatts. That's more than 200% increase over the current 240 gigawatts. The TSOs even expect nearly one terawatt by 2040. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Uh, we will be back with more interesting discussions, facts, laughs and insight very soon. Uh, if there's a topic you'd like to be featured, please don't hesitate to get in touch. You can find our various contact details in the show notes. Uh, do check foresightdk.com for the rest of our quality journalism and our other podcasts. And I'll see you next time for another fascinating trip into the world of the energy transition. <laughs>